First Draft, the improvised audiobook presents Struggles of a Dark Lord. Story inspired by you, our dear listeners, with this week's chapter title suggested by Jacob Chapman on Facebook, read and improvised in real time by Zach Atherton, and introduced by me, Mimbly Pimbly. Chapter 4, Smarmy Medals. Reese loved to win. She was competitive by nature and loved that by her own effort, she was able to objectively identify that she was better than someone at something. She knew innately that this wasn't the best quality, but she couldn't deny the rush that she got when someone told her that she was the best at something. Her whole life, she always took simple projects seriously. She remembered in the first or second grade when they were doing a macaroni art contest, that she went way too far. She'd gone to the library and found an old painting, a a print of a da Vinci classic. Not one of the more well-known ones, but an obscure but beautiful one. She wanted everyone to know that it was her idea and wanted to be even more praised for her creativity. She remembered that she begged her dad to go to the store and buy her seven different types of noodles so that she could have contouring and contrast and shading. She stayed up three nights in a row, well past 2 a.m., working on a four-foot by six-foot poster of the most obnoxiously intricate macaroni recreation of a da Vinci classic. It was a picture of a horse trampling a well-to-do man in a robe. She thought that it was funny and liked the challenge of having to do it. Reese was so obnoxious with her competitive nature that she got a reputation at school for having to be the best or being a perfectionist. When she lost, which was inevitable for a 10-year-old, there were several things she did not excel at sports, theater, singing, and would more often than not be beat out in these categories. She didn't put up a stinking fit or scream or shout or yell, but she gave off a tangible, resonating force of disappointment that other people around her throughout her life could recognize. It gave her the nickname of Raving Reese at the school. Just last year in October, there was a costume contest in which the upper graders of her school, meaning fourth to sixth graders, would have a chance to compete one with another for several different prizes and titles. In proper Reese Jamberson fashion, she begged her dad to take her to Home Depot, where she bought particle board, two-by-fours, black paint, hinges, nails, and half a dozen other materials. This project took her a little bit longer to do than the macaroni art that she had obsessed with just a few years before that, and she required the supervision of her dad for the parts that required power tools. But after a week of careful preparation and execution, she was ready. On Hallow's Eve, her school allowed all the students to come into costume, and this was the day of the costume contest. At 8.30, the parents promptly arrived with their children, bringing them in their cute but typical costumes, a mummy here, a princess there, someone wearing the getup of the popular cartoon or TV show of the age, and they all filed into the assembly hall. After some opening announcements from the vice principal, they began to showcase each of the students starting with the lowest class first and gave each student an opportunity to be seen by the whole school and by the three judges, the PE teacher, the cafeteria lady, and the school counselor, sitting at a small wooden desk in front of the audience. When it was Reese's class's turn, she purposefully had not entered the assembly hall and was waiting outside with her dad, their plan carefully prepared and rehearsed nights before. Mr. Jamberson had asked the person working tech for that event a special favor that at the end of the line of Reese's class that 
you turn off the light and turn on the spotlight, which he did for a coupon for 15% off accounting services at his firm. When it was Reese's turn, and as the last stretch of fourth graders started to make their way off the stage, was when Mr. Jamberson nodded inside, winked at the tech person, and the lights went off and the spotlight shone. Pushing a dolly, Mr. Jamperson went up the ramp and placed a black coffin standing vertically on the stage. It slowly creaked open to reveal Reese in outrageously perfect Dracula garb, with her hands crossed on her chest and slowly opened her eyes and walked out to the crowd, put her hand inside her pocket and squeezed a makeshift pump that she had created as fake blood began to pour from her fangs, which she had attached with prosthetics and masterfully crafted into her skin so it looked whole and dripped down. It was one of those moments that was clearly impressive, but where you don't know where to react. There were a couple of scattered chuckles and laughs and even some light applause, but there were certainly glances that were exchanged between parents as they saw this girl go all out for what was supposed to be a silly and fun costume contest. After a beat, the lights turned on, Reese waved awkwardly, walked off the stage, and her dad rolled off the coffin and the dolly. After the assembly, Reese walked with her classmates back to her class and waited for the announcements later that day where they would announce the winners of the costume. The categories were scariest, most original, cutest, most fun, and most smarmy. Reese had to look up in the dictionary what smarmy meant, and from the best of what she could understand, she knew it to mean someone taking pleasure in something unsavory or inappropriate or not worthy of appreciation or accolade. She imagined that this award would be given to one of the younger students, someone who wore a paper bag or a garbage can over their head because that's the best they could do, a pity award, as it were. As she listened to the voice over the intercom, Vice Principal Jadine, she clenched her fists in hopeful anticipation of the coveted, scariest award. She didn't get that one, or the cutest, or the most original. But at the very last sentence of the announcement, she heard Vice Principal Jadine say, with what Reese was sure was a large grin behind it, and this smarmy award goes to <clears throat> Reese Jamberson. There was light applause from the class as they heard the instructions that 15 minutes before school was to be over that they were to go to the principal's office and collect their rewards. A little embarrassed, Reese was tempted to just go home, take the bus to her house, and to forget about it. But she had worked so hard on her costume and her prop that she thought she might at least have something to remember it by. She kept that prize in her closet, a medal that was engraved with the words, Number One Smarm. She kept it there in her closet as a reminder of her failure. She knew and recognized that the whole thing was silly and perhaps she had taken it too seriously, but she couldn't help but feel that pang of hot shame or embarrassment that she had worked so hard for something that didn't get appreciation. She was, however, still very proud of the coffin that she had made and kept it in her room in the corner, would sometimes go in it as a joke, trying to scare her dad when he got home late to check up on her. Reese was particularly sad when she had to use this fake toy coffin as a real case for a body. After the shock of seeing the cold corpse of an ugly creature in her closet, she realized almost immediately that she had to get rid of it. She had seen too many movies like E.T., what happened to little kids who found strange aliens or creatures. The government would surely ask her a lot of questions. She would have to miss school, and it would almost certainly prove to her dad that she wasn't responsible to take care of herself. She had to wait two whole hours before she could take action. 
her new au pair, Caroline, was at home checking on her after all, and she certainly wouldn't be of much use disposing of a corpse of some supernatural creature. Fighting against her natural instincts, Reese played nice that evening, ate the dinner that Caroline had made her, steamed corn and a bit of fried chicken, and even tried to smile and laugh at the lame jokes that she made as she recounted something dumb some character watched on some silly sitcom she watched on the weekends. She thanked her for her help as she left later that early evening, and she even waved to her with the most forced smile she had ever done as Caroline got into her car and drove away. The second the car was in sight, Reese bolted upstairs. She looked frantically around the room, trying to decide what to do. She knew that garbage bags wouldn't work, that the being would break through, and that she didn't know if she could have enough leverage to move it anyway. She quickly looked over at her coffin that she had made and came up with a plan. Running to the shed outside, she opened it, and after looking through some old cabinets and past the lawnmower, she saw the dolly that her dad had used to push her the year before. She rashly pulled it out of its place, sandwiched between some cardboard boxes and some bags filled with old tinsel, almost knocking down a cabinet on her way. But wrestled it out and ran it down the pathway and back into her home and up the stairs. She placed the coffin on the floor and opened it, and then opened her closet door, the gross, almost pig-like being still there, unbreathing, unmoving. The being was almost exactly her size, so it took a great deal of effort to shove it into the box. She dragged it by its armpits out of the door and had to lift it up fireman-style, something that she had learned at a rescue retreat with her local Girl Scout troop, and plopped it heavily and sweatily into the black coffin. Getting up on the dolly was also difficult. She found her dad's old hockey stick from his college days and used it as a pole to lift up the box and leverage it onto the dolly. Getting it down the stairs took her a whole 30 minutes as she would battle with the body weight, which she assumed was roughly her own, down each step, carefully taking her breath as she rested it for a second before starting the journey over again. Sweaty and out of breath, and at the bottom of the stairs, Reese wheeled it out, eyes darting back and forth, looking nervously, paranoid out the window. She knew her dad wouldn't be home for at least another four or five hours, and they rarely had visitors. But boy, she didn't want to explain to anyone what she was doing. She knew exactly where she needed to bury it. Her dad, a few months back, had been working on digging a pit in the backyard or a small trampoline, the kind that when a depressed would go into the hole and suspend it over it. Her dad had gotten a little too busy, so they weren't able to finish it, and she didn't think it would be for a long time. So she thought it was a fine place to store it until maybe she could figure out what to do, maybe steal her dad's truck and dump it into the lake or something. She wheeled it over to the edge of the hole and unceremoniously tipped it over. It rolled a couple of times, but strangely enough, ended on its back, the spray-painted cross visible from her vantage point five feet above the hole. She went back to the shed, took a shovel, started piling on the dirt that she and her dad had made into a pile just a little while ago. She being an average-sized ten-year-old girl using a full man-sized shovel was awkward and difficult for her as she shoveled on pile after pile on top of the coffin. The sun was starting to set now, and the coffin was maybe halfway buried, obscured but still obvious, and Reese began to worry. She sat down for a second and just cried, tears streaming down her face, making dirty tracks from her soiled face. Her hands hurt, and she was still in shock from the loss of her pets and was beginning to feel anxiety rise in her throat, as she felt it was inevitable that her father would find out. She sat there in silence for a moment, and resolved to tell her dad what she had done, to own up to this crazy mess that had happened. She looked up to the sky, and saw the sun setting beautifully behind the foothills, and for a moment she just enjoyed it, as she saw the last beams of the sun 
leave, and as the sky transitioned to dusk, she looked down at the coffin and saw it shake violently. Scared, she jumped back and waited a minute. Gathering up her courage, she walked down the hole, brushed off the top layer of dirt that was holding down the lid, and peeked inside. It was empty. The blood drained from her face and her hands. She all of a sudden felt very heavy. What if I... what if I just made this up? Oh gosh, am I losing it? Ray said to herself, panicked. Oh, oh, I mean, what if... oh man, I... I... She remembered reading about that the brain could do crazy things when under stress in a medical book that she had checked out on her free time. Oh, of course. I mean, gosh, it felt so real, but... I mean, of course it wasn't real. I, I'm just freaking out. I mean, but if, but if, but if, but if this wasn't real, then, oh no, Peabody's. She ran as quickly as she could, banging the back screen door behind her as she bolted up the stairs and threw her door wide open, looking for her cats, hoping that in her moment of insanity, she had dreamt up their deaths. But she looked around and room was quiet and a little emptier with the coffin now missing. Reese sat on her bed, confused and drained, and fell back on her back, her face over her eyes. She sobbed a few more wet sobs and clenched her fist into her face and squeezed a little, trying to distinguish whether this was all one big dream, and held it there for a few seconds. She let out a big sigh and put her hands to her side, and prying her eyes open, then being sticky and wet from the tears, opened her eyes to a blur, her vision being obscured by the wetness. She blinked a few times, and as her vision cleared, she saw two pale eyes looking straight into hers, and a small, timid voice say, uh, hi. Reese screamed and jumped off the bed. Sorry if I woke you, said David, nervously. Reese screamed again and bolted for the hockey stick that she had used earlier. Get back! Back! I-I-I-I-I-I know how to slap shot the crap out of people, so I, I will use this. David held up his hands. I don't know many of the words that you just said against me, but I could tell that you are angry and scared, and I am so sorry. Feeling a little more in control, Reese kept the creature at hockey stick length. What are you? Reese said. Well, started David slowly. I'm a goblin, but my name's David. It's very nice to meet you. David, said Reese. What are you doing in my room, and why aren't you dead? Well, I don't know if I can answer both of those questions, said David. First off, I have no idea why I'm in your room, and for that I'm quite sorry. This is beautiful, by the way. Much better than mine. I just live in a cave. I sit on some broken up rocks that I broke from. The sharp rock thing that comes from the ceilings. I just can never remember that word. Stalactite, said Reese knowingly. Ah, oh, boy, you are smart. Man, I am so happy to meet you. You were dead, Reese screamed. I checked your pulse. I touched your clammy skin. You weren't breathing. As for that, said David, this is pretty new to me, but I think I know what happened. I think when I traveled from the down under to the up and upper, my body came first and my spirit came later. I'm still adjusting to uh, being alive again. The down, but up and what? Reese was starting to feel dizzy. She started to pinch herself and slapped her cheeks and banged the hilt of the hockey stick on the floor. Are you okay? said David. Yeah, I just, this is a bit much. I'm talking to a goblin in my room that I just tried to bury in my backyard. Oh, that was you, said David. Oh, man, that was, uh, it's pretty scary, but, uh, I'm glad I got out of there. Reese taking a step forward. How did you get out? I didn't see you leave. I was there. You were just gone. Well, started David slowly again. I'm no expert at this, but I think I performed a little bit of shadow magic. Shadow magic, said Reese. Yeah, 
said David. It's typically something only higher up goblins can do, and I certainly haven't had those gifts, but I've seen it be done. Using shadows to travel, you sort of compress your size, the size of whatever shadow is, and you're able to kind of slide along. I've never been able to do it, but when I was in that box, I panicked, and I felt myself pressing against the darkness and flattening myself against it, and I kind of slipped out on a trail and followed the shadow back to the place that my body knew, which was this place here. Your bedroom, I think you called it. Where do you come from? Said Reese, letting her guard down a little bit. Why, I come from the down under, said David. Australia? Said Reese. I don't know where that is, said David. But we live in, well, I live in the down under. I had some friends that were supposed to come, but they didn't make it. Friends, said Reese. There are more like you? Oh, yeah, loads, said David. But I don't think any of us have ever come here. Gosh, this is so cool. If I had known this was this beautiful and lit and warm, man, I would have tried hopping over so much sooner. Are you going to hurt me? Said Reese. Hurt you, David replied. Why would I do that? I'm, I'm so happy to see you. I'm so happy to be here. I'm your guest. And I've never had one, but I assume it's not kosher to hurt your guest. Or to hurt your host, rather. I guess not, said Reese. My name's Reese, placing the hockey stick on her bed and taking a seat there. It's nice to meet you too, David. Why, thank you, said David. That is mighty nice of you. Would you mind if I uh, take a seat? I notice you have uh, something I could rest my bum on. Still getting used to my body again. Yeah, totally, said Reese. Oh, exclaimed David. I'm still so new to this, I'm sorry, but I have something for you. Something for me, said Reese. Yeah, I always thought that if I were ever invited to somewhere else, that I'd want to give him something, I don't know, just a gift from a guest. Just to, I don't know, get things on the right foot. You sure are a nervous one, said Reese, with a little smile on her face. Yeah, sorry. Apologize, David. I'm kind of freaking out right now. He walked over to the closet, scrounged around a bit, and pulled out a small side bag that seemed to be made of some kind of poorly tanned hide. This is the only gift I have to give, but you being my first host ever, I, I thought it would appropriate that you should have it. He pulled out a small, crudely carved figurine, what appeared to be two beings holding hands. She couldn't make out whether it was human or what. They appeared to have a humanoid shape with two legs and two arms. But other than that, it looked pretty terrible, in Reese's opinion. Uh, thank you, said Reese as she walked over and gingerly took it from his hand. David beamed with a large, wide, pointy, toothy smile. A smile that had far too many teeth for reason as if a sculptor had jammed it in the mouth of its creation at the last minute. You're really proud of this thing, aren't you? said Reese. Sure am, said David. I was the only one I knew of of a wooden anything in the down under, let alone something that I carved with my own two hands. I would say it's pretty dang great. It's kind of smarmy if you ask me, smirked Reese. What does that mean? said David. It means something exciting and wonderful. I have a gift for you in return, she said. David's eyes opened wide like a small child discovering candy for the first time. Oh, boy, gosh, you, you don't have to do that for me. She could see his knees quivering in anticipation. It's really no problem, said Reese. She walked to her closet and pulled from her coat hanger the medal that she had won last year that had been a symbol of embarrassment and failure and placed it tenderly around David's neck. What does it say? He said, fingers gently pressing against the grooves of the metal medallion. It says number one smarm said Reese, and in this house, that means new friend. She saw as tears began to well up in David's eyes. 
strange, grotesque reaction on such a foreign and alien face. Thank you, blubbered David. This is the nicest thing I've ever received. Well, it's really the only present I've ever received, but I know if I had received other presents before this, I surely would think this was the nicest. Thank you, Reese Jamerson. You're very welcome, David the Goblin. I'm sure that this is the beginning of a great friend. She was cut off as she heard the door downstairs open and heard her dad, Richard, loudly say from the door, Reese, I came home early. I'll come up to get you. This has been First Draft, the improvised audiobook. Music by Ethan Young, hosted by the Improv Broadway Network. To help create the story, please leave us comments or suggestions on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at First Draft with two S's, or at firstdraft at gmail.com, also with two S's. This is Nimply Pimbly. Thank you for listening. And it's pronounced football, not soccer, you colonial scum. <laughs>